Thank you guys for leading us today. Well, good morning. Let's uh, take our Bibles, go to Acts chapter 10. Good to uh, be with you this morning. Got some Christmas trees up, and uh, my wife's really happy this morning. Um, we, uh, we got like an eight-foot Christmas tree, and it went up yesterday. And uh, just ask Lauren Johnson why she's happy this morning when you see her, and she'll say Christmas tree. That's why. So um, some of you uh, didn't, didn't know, didn't get the memo about Thanksgiving, and uh, your Christmas tree's been up since October. Uh, that's okay. We can talk about that later. But I uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Who, uh, just go ahead and, and group confession time. Who, who uh, ate too much? Just go ahead, all right? Um, the rest of you are not telling the truth. Who, who particularly found or made or experimented or was, uh, was really happy that somebody experimented because, like, new dessert this year that you ate, like, way too much of it? Anybody? Anybody? I, my mom made something, and I don't want to tell her this, and, and she's not feeling great, so she may actually be watching this, but my mom made something called pecan pie layer cake. Now, pecan pie is by far, it, it's, it has like the manna of the Old Testament built into it somehow. It's, it's really good. But my mom made something with pecan pie layer cake. I actually asked her about this so I wouldn't get it wrong, okay? Brown sugar spice cake with brown sugar butter icing and pecan pie feeling in, filling in the middle. Uh, I was instructed to get a piece of that by my mother. I was instructed to put it in the microwave for not 11, not 13, but 12 seconds. And I put it in for 12 seconds, and then I put ice cream on top of it. And don't tell my mom this, but her, make sure I get the name right, pecan pie layer cake is better than her pecan pie, okay? And that's saying a lot, okay? If you want that recipe, we maybe can get it to you. Anyway, I, uh, I was thinking about that because I've never had this, this cake before. And uh, today's my father's birthday, so tonight we're going to go over, and I'm really excited. I guess I should be excited because it's my dad's birthday, but I'm excited because I get more pecan pie layer cake, okay? Um, being honest there. Lots of stuff go into that, but, but when I got that on my plate, I said, what is this? This is so good. And I don't know. I don't know why I'm excited about that this morning. But, but it seems as if, as we've been walking through Acts chapter 10, there's, there's different layers in this story, right? And, and guess what? When we get to chapter 11, Cornelius and Peter are going to be there again. It's almost as if Luke is trying to tell us over and over again that there's a lot of stuff that goes into these chapters, but there's one central message. And the central message is, just as the gospel was for the Jews in Jerusalem and the Jews in Judea, just as the gospel was for the Samaritans in chapter 8, Praise God, the gospel is for all of us Gentiles too. That is the central message. If you scoop a big old spoonful of Acts chapter 10 and coming Acts chapter 11, because we're going to see in just a few weeks, Peter and six Jewish believers can understand that the gospel is for the Gentiles, but oftentimes the rest of us, it takes us a few more minutes, a few uh, more days, a little bit longer to get the memo of what God is saying. But what have we looked at last week? Justin walked us through what Peter preached. And if you go back and you look in other messages that Peter preached, the, the central core of the gospel is there. It's who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus provides us in the gospel. The difference is 
As in Acts chapter 2, it was Jews in Jerusalem. As in Acts chapter 3 and 4 and 5, it's people around the temple and in the city of Jerusalem. And we see the gospel start getting out into Judea. In Acts chapter 8, it's Philip preaching the same message, the good news about Christ, to the Samaritans. Paul gets converted in Acts 9, but now here it is. These are people that do not have one drop of Jewish blood in them. And guess what? The gospel is for them too. Acts chapter 10. Let's read verses 44 through 48 as we wrap up chapter 10 this morning. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them, that's the Gentiles, speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Lord, we look to you and we, we pray that you will help us to understand the scriptures this morning. Pray you would help me to explain the scriptures. Lord, help us to, to, in one sense, be so thankful that we can see ourselves in this passage. That just as Peter said, they received the Spirit just as we have. That, Lord, this morning we have... Through Christ, by your grace, we have the same spirit in us that the apostles had. The same spirit that came on the great men and women in the Old Testament. But Lord, in a great or deeper way, those of us who are part of the church, Lord, the spirit lives in us permanently. We thank you for that. And Lord, in the other way, I pray this morning that you'll help us as we see how this text plays out in our life, that we won't withhold from others what you have already given to us, and to them. So Lord, help us as we study this morning. Interesting things in the text this morning make it clear to us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the entire story, starting in chapter 10, verse 1, has led up to this place. We've had a guy who was a God-fearer, but hadn't heard the gospel. His name's Cornelius. He was a, he was a devout man, remember? He's religious. He was a military man. He was a man under authority, but he was a man that had authority. And he has a vision, and an angel comes, and if you'll remember a few weeks ago, we found out that the angel doesn't preach the gospel to Cornelius. Why is that? Because God has, in his sovereign will, decided and said that who shares the gospel with the world? Not angels, us. In some ways, angels did, of course, announce good news in the Bible, but you and I have a greater opportunity than angels as we are called to proclaim the gospel to the world. And so Cornelius... Sends men to go talk to Peter, to send for Peter. And remember, Peter's praying while other people are making him food. And he gets this vision. He doesn't know what's going on. And he's told not to call common or unclean what God has called clean. And while he's thinking about that, there's a knock on the door. And these men from Cornelius come. And Peter, they, they stay with Peter. And then they leave and they go. And Cornelius greets Peter. He falls down. And Peter says, I'm just a man like you. Don't worship me. Cornelius says, we're all gathered here, my friends and my family and my relatives, and we're here to tell, we're, we're here to listen to what you say. And the light bulb goes off and Peter preaches the gospel. That's where we ended last week. 
So where we pick, where we stopped last week, Peter is in the middle of preaching the message. And if you'll notice how it begins in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell. And that's what I want us to see first this morning. I want us to see first this morning that the Holy Spirit falls on Gentiles. What does that mean? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit fell? The word there literally means to fall upon, to recline. It's a, it's a, a, a picture of someone sitting down or something falling down from above. The Holy Spirit falls. Now, I want us to see first that when he fell, <laughs> this is really maybe refreshing for you to hear as somebody that hears. It's, it's uh, thought-provoking for someone that preaches. But he falls and interrupts the preaching. That's what happens. Peter has basically just got started. I mean, he opened his mouth in verse 34, and guess what? In verse 43, so he's, he's only 10 verses into this. And many people have said, well, you know, Peter didn't preach that long. Go back and look at Pentecost. And yeah, Peter preaches for like 40, 30 verses. And if you just read through that, it takes you a few minutes to read that. But what we, what we forget is, at the end of the message, after they were convicted, and after they said, what do we do? The Bible says that Peter, with many more words, exhorted them, be saved from this generation. We know Paul didn't, uh, didn't you know, just wrap up really quick. You remember that? Later on in the book of Acts, he's preaching. It's late. There's a dude in the window. They're on a second store. Paul's preaching. The dude falls out the window and dies. He gets picking up. Paul goes down, raises him from the dead. That should be enough. Like, dismiss the service. We've had resurrection. He says, no, Paul kept teaching until the sun rose, and then he left. So what I'm trying to show you is Peter is just warming up, and all of a sudden, something happens. And what happens? The Holy Spirit Falls. He interrupts. Now notice when the Holy Spirit interrupts the message. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things. What are these things? You could say, yeah, it's the previous 10 verses. But notice where the Spirit falls. If you'll go back to verse 43. To him, Christ, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And if we go back and remember, where Justin let, let us off last week. I love this. As I was, as I was looking through his, his notes last week, and this is where he wrapped up. If you'll remember where we ended last week, what has Peter said? This is how Justin had put it. It was a call to trust in Jesus with your life as Lord of all. Peter said he was Lord of all. It was a call to trust Jesus with your life as God's anointed one the Holy Spirit and power. It was a call to trust Jesus with your life as stronger than sin and Satan. It was a call to trust Jesus with your life as one who died and rose again and lives this very moment as Lord of all. It was a call to trust Jesus with your life as one who forgives sins. And it was a call to trust Jesus, not with the works of your flesh, but simple faith. Now it is while Peter is saying that, it's almost as if the Holy Spirit says, all right, Peter, that's enough. They've heard what they've needed to hear. But I want you to understand that this wasn't just something where the Holy Spirit came on them either against their will or in opposition to their will. 
Or the Holy Spirit just came on them and they were almost robotic. Because when you read the text, what you see is, if you'll remember, even before Peter starts preaching, remember Cornelius has gathered these people here, and you remember what he says? He says, we are here. We are here to hear everything that the Lord has commanded you. And it's almost as if they're sitting on the edge of their seat listening. And they're waiting, and they're processing. And it's almost as if when he begins to announce who Jesus is, and then it's almost this last phrase where the Spirit falls on them. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's almost as if you can sense this crowd in Cornelius' house leaping at the sound of that and saying, yes, we want this Christ. One commentator put it this way. Luke is saying that it was at this phrase, everyone who receives forgiveness, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. It was as if this phrase struck like a thunderbolt into the consciousness of those assembled Gentiles that released their pent-up emotions and emboldened them to respond by faith. With the promise of forgiveness offered through his name to everyone who believes in him, they were given a reason for hope beyond their fondest expectations. And with the reception of that inclusive message, the Holy Spirit came on the Gentile congregation there and gathered just as he had come on the disciples at Pentecost. They're not just showing up saying, well, this will be great. Cornelius has had a vision, and he's been sitting on that vision for Almost a week now, if you look at the, the trip to Joppa and then bring Peter back, it's been three or four days. And Cornelius maybe had sleepless nights. What is going to be said? What is going to be said? Come listen. He gathers his friends and family. What's going to be said? What's going to be said? And they sit there with anticipation, and here is the message. This is not just for a group of people who have the same gene line of 12 tribes this is a message that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. And you can just see hearts at that moment, yes, by sovereign work of God, but leaping out and saying, yes, we want this Christ. And all of that in their heart and the work of the Lord, and it all comes together and the Holy Spirit falls. He fell. What does that mean? We'll see just a minute. Maybe if you were sitting in that room, and we find out in chapter 11, there were six, that, there was the, the men that traveled with Peter, there's six of them. So with Peter, there's seven. So maybe you're one of those guys, one of those Jewish believers, you got invited, and you're tagging along, and Peter's preaching, and maybe you're in the corner just watching, maybe you're in the corner praying, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls. Like, what does that mean? Obviously, we'll find out in just a moment that things begin to be seen, and things begin to be heard. The point was when the Spirit came on these people, they were not as they were before. And I think that's a great principle that we should remember. No one can be touched by the Spirit of God in a saving work and remain the same the rest of their life. Doesn't mean they grow a horn out their head. Doesn't mean they change color. But they will live differently. They will talk differently. They will think differently. They will be in the Old Testament, it was prophesied. You'll hear a voice behind you. This is the way that you should walk. They will be led by God. They will have a desire for God. And I know the Christian life. I know it's tough. I know everything around us, and even this flesh pulls and fights 
But when we're born again, guess what, y'all? We're born again. <laughs> That's why we're told that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. And why? Because the Spirit of God touches our life. I think it's interesting. I won't spend much time here, but just look back in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell, underline this word, on all. So the Holy Spirit just didn't fall and interrupt the preaching. The Holy Spirit fell on all without distinction. That's amazing. Think about it. There were old people in the room. There were young people in the room. It was Cornelius, some of his family members, maybe a first cousin, maybe a third cousin. And what I love is the Holy Spirit did not fall more or less based off how far you were or relation to Cornelius. Maybe you were just a, you know, a friend of a friend, but he invited you in. Whoever was there, the Holy Spirit fell on them. That's very encouraging for us this morning. That it doesn't matter what our past is. It doesn't matter how much, about, how much knowledge about God we know or we don't know. It doesn't matter if we were raised in church from nine months before we were born or we're just brand spanking new. God does not see us as society and culture see us, as people judge us. God says the free offer of the gospel is for all without distinction. Romans chapter 10 says the same Lord bestows his riches on Jew and Greek. Another place in the Bible, in Galatians 3.28, doesn't matter if you're male or female, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Paul was saying at that time, doesn't matter what your status is economically, in, in society or culture, doesn't matter what people say about you, the gospel is for you. Particularly in relation to this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, we all drank of the same spirit. So the spirit in this verse, he falls on all. But I think it's important for us to also see that the Spirit falls on all who heard the word. Isn't that what it says in verse 44? All who heard the word. Notice the word, uh, just to, to make note of this, word is, is not capitalized. This is the Greek word logos, which we've kind of discovered in previous chapters in Acts. This would be the word literally meaning the totality of the message communicated. So what has Peter been preaching? Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, Repent, believe, you'll receive forgiveness. So it's just basically like everybody that heard what Peter just preached, the Spirit fell on them, which is very important for us to see that the Spirit falls on all who hear and believe the gospel. Again, Peter had to preach the gospel. Again, they had to hear the gospel. And this is why in the book of Romans, Paul asked many questions. How will someone call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe if they haven't heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching to him? And then he sets a spiritual principle. He says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. People don't get saved because we smile at them and wave at them. People get saved when they hear the gospel shared with them. And of course, there's a befriending that takes place. 
And of course, there's an investment in, in, in people's life. There's horizontal investment as we love people and, and we invite them to our house and we hang out with them and we just don't view them as a salvation target. Like we care about them and, and we befriend them. But there's vertical investment. We, we go on their behalf to God and we ask God and pray that God would work in their hearts. Not that God needs to know all that stuff, but God tells us to do that. If you want somebody to get saved, pray for them. That's what the scripture says. And the question isn't whether or not God will answer that prayer. The question is, why will you disobey God by not doing what he's asked you to do? So if we want people to be saved, guess what we do? We, we pray for them. We, we love them. We serve them. But guess what, y'all? Eventually, we got to open our mouth and share because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word. All who heard the word, the Holy Spirit falls on them because they were able to believe. Now, what I find interesting about this is when I read this and I see the Holy Spirit interrupting a message of the gospel, I have to ask myself this. Do I, as a communicator of the, the scriptures, do I want people to hear my voice or do I want people to hear his voice? Like, would we be okay if the Holy Spirit fell on us and the singing stopped? If the Holy Spirit fell on us and the preaching stopped? And I, I, don't, I don't necessarily will tell you, like, what does that look like? Because it seems as if the Holy Spirit just kind of steps in. We're told that he's like a wind. In John 3, he blows where he wishes. But it seems as if the American church has so programized church and we've bound the Holy Spirit up into the corner that you only work in between the, the, the end of the message and the last song. Like, that's, that's your place, Holy Spirit. We're going to bring the band out, and then we're going to bring somebody out, then we're going to bring the preacher out, and you got about five minutes. And, and if you're in churches that I've grown up in and preached in, you, you only work between the first, second, and fourth verse because for some reason we hate the third verse of the hymn. You know what I'm talking about? And we so bind the third person of the Trinity in red tape, or at least we think we do. Basically, we just say, we don't need you, but just a few moments, do your thing, and then we'll take back over. Let me just tell you this. There is only one sovereign in the church of God. His name is the Holy Spirit. He brought us into this world through the new birth, and guess what? He's the author and giver of life. He can take us out if he wishes. But don't we just desire sometimes... For the Spirit just to take over? And, and can I just tell you this to encourage you? If there ever comes a moment in a worship gathering at Cross Point Church where your heart is either pierced so hard with divine truth that you can't sit there, would you please understand you have the complete freedom to get up, go grab someone, go grab a pastor, go grab your small group leader, go grab someone, and just like leave and deal with God. If we're singing and your heart is so overcome with the love of Jesus that you need to stop what you are standing and get on your knees and worship him, you got freedom to do that. There should be places, and I'm not, I'm not calling us this morning and putting on us something that if there's no shakeup or some divine blowing of the wind that, that we're not experiencing church because the Bible says everything should be decently and in order, okay? But we're not called to worship the decently and in order. We're called to worship the God who has no bounds upon himself. Does that make sense?
And I feel like we need to be freed up a little bit. Praise God, we do have freedom in this place when we gather. We can raise our hands and we can sit down and pray. But I hope you understand that when God speaks truth to your heart, don't flick it on the back burner and move on. Deal with it. And the Holy Spirit just takes over. I love that. So he falls on the Gentiles. But I want us to see secondly this morning that as a result, these Jewish believers, they're amazed because the Spirit is poured out. Verse 45, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. This isn't on the screen, but I think it's interesting. In verse 44, we're told that the Holy Spirit falls, okay? Active. He's the one doing that action. He is falling. But it says here that he is being poured out. It's passive. Now, we're told earlier in the scriptures, and and I'll give you some scriptures here, and if you need these later on because you can't write them down, I'll give them to you, no problem. But we're told in Acts 2.33 that that Jesus pours out the Spirit. We're told in Titus 3, 5, and 6 that the Father pours out the Spirit. And I think it's really awesome here is that in verse 44, we see the Holy Spirit coming, and yet as he's coming, guess what? He's being poured out and given by the Father and the Son. This involvement of saving Gentiles is not one person of the Trinity doing it. This is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, setting their minds and hearts and wills upon a group of Gentiles and says, we will save them. This is so good. Aren't you thankful this morning that you are not an afterthought to God? That all of his mind and his heart and his will and his power was focused upon you, and he says, I will save that one. That is the gospel. It's good news for us this morning. But they're amazed. These six that are with Peter, we're told in verse 45 that they are among the circumcised. That that means that they are Jewish. They were, uh, around their eighth day, they were, if they were males, they were uh, circumcised as a set apart, as a Jew, fulfilling what God had told Abraham to do for all his offspring. Jews took pride in that. They were not the dogs They had been set apart from birth. They weren't those nasty, dirty Gentiles. And the the believers see the Holy Spirit fall. And so something has happened. They begin to hear things. They begin to see things. But it says that they were amazed. They were blown away. They were encaptured with awe because the Holy Spirit is being poured out on these people. Now, it's important for us to see a few things. First, he's... Notice, he, the Spirit, is poured out as a gift of grace. Peter uses the same noun here to describe the receiving of the Spirit that he did in Acts chapter 2. It's gift. Notice that, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift. Same word. Dorea in the Greek. It's a word that was used to describe a free gift. But the freeness was emphasized, meaning 
The gift wasn't given because someone had done something to merit it. The gift wasn't given because it was a duty. I mean, can we be honest? Over the next month, we're going to buy some gifts just because we're supposed to buy gifts, okay? Right? If you give that like you're supposed to give to me, I won't even question your motive. I'll just take it, okay? (laughs) But this word, dorea, is used to say there is nothing that the receiver has done to merit in any way. They didn't pay anything. They didn't contribute anything. The gift is given simply without apparent reason, without cause, without justification, without charge, without payment. It is simply given because the giver is gracious. And the Jewish believers are like, whoa. These Gentiles didn't do anything. They didn't merit this at all. I read this in a commentary. This is so good. These Gentiles had not done anything to receive the Spirit. They had not followed the Mosaic law. They had not been circumcised. They had not followed the food laws. They had not brought any sacrifices. They even had not experienced Jewish baptism at this point. God just gave them the Holy Spirit. Can I encourage you this morning? You don't have to clean up your life in order to receive the Holy Spirit. The gift of salvation is a gift right where you are. God cleans his fish after he catches them. You don't have to smell and, or, or put moral perfume on your life. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to say, I'm going to get myself a little better before I give my life to Jesus. Check this out. Like You're dead in your sin. Like You, you can't make yourself any better. Give yourself to him. Don't try to make yourself better. You can't. The Holy Spirit is given to those who realize they cannot save themselves. He was poured out as a gift of grace. But notice (laughs) verse 45, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. He's not just poured out as as grace. He's poured out on the Gentiles. Isn't this great that his name is Holy Spirit? These Jews are looking at these Gentiles, and in their mind, their presupposition, unholy, unclean, filthy, nasty, uncircumcised. Whoa, they just received the Holy Spirit. You know what God says at that point? God says, my spirit is for whomever I choose to give to. My spirit is for those, regardless of who they are, who believe in the gospel. This reminds us of the prophecy that Peter proclaimed in Acts chapter 2. And the Jews thought it was great, but this is a brand new context. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. In those days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the Jews were like, oh yeah, that's, that's great, man. In, in, any tribe, anybody of the Jew. And then these six dudes are sitting there now, they're like, whoa. The prophecy meant all flesh. As they see these Gentiles receiving the Spirit. We get to verse 46. This is how they knew the Spirit had fallen. And this is probably the funnest verse in this text. Actually, in your small group guides this week, there's a question about verse 46. And at the end of that, your small group leaders will see in parenthesis it goes, This is the fun question for the week, okay? Why? Verse 46. 
For they were hearing them. This is why they're amazed. This is how they know the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out. For they were all hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Amen. That's in the scriptures. There it is. Let's just get nervous this morning. Amen. Let's deal with the text. Here we go. Now, I want you to see that he's poured out as a sign. The Spirit is poured out as a sign. The Spirit has given these Gentiles to show Peter and these six Jews what is happening. And so the Spirit comes on them, and as a sign to what's happening, they speak in tongues and they extol God. Now, we've already seen tongues earlier in the book of Acts. If we go back to chapter 2, we saw tongues, right? But remember, those tongues were known languages because people are like, man, these, these Jews, these these Galileans, man, they're, they're speaking in my language. They're speaking in these people's language. I think I have a Galilean accent, by the way, you know, so making fun of myself, redneck accent. But like, like, like that redneck right there, man, he's speaking like this African language. Like how? And remember, those tongues were not just a speaking miracle. It was a hearing miracle. Is that those people could hear. But then we don't have tongues again until when? Right here. It seems as if these tongues, same Greek word, glossa, but it seems as if these tongues are referring to more ecstatic, unknowable language. But I do want you to see, though, that something was heard that was understandable. Why? Because it says that they were extolling God. So something was going on where Peter and the six Jewish believers could say, oh, that's prayer, <laughs> Oh, they're praising God, extolled to lift up, to magnify, to make large. This is what they're doing. They're, they have experienced in themselves an onrush of the presence of God, peace and joy, forgiveness, and they're worshiping and praising God. Now, the reason that there's a sign here is that for these Jewish believers, they would say, oh, wow, if we remember back to Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit came on us. What happened? We spoke in tongues. Now, there is in Acts chapter 8, in Samaria, there's no mention of tongues, but there's almost an inference that perhaps some of the Samaritans spoke in tongues because the Bible says that when they saw that they had received the Spirit. But we don't know. And so some people will take these verses and they'll say, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10. And they will say, see, every time the Holy Spirit comes on people, you have to speak in tongues. The Bible does not teach that. People will say that the only way that you are saved is if you speak in tongues. The Bible doesn't teach that. Just listen to the differences here. From Acts chapter 2, verse 14, until this verse, there is no mention of tongues in the book of Acts, except for a possible inference in Acts chapter 8. When people are saved in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, saved, not, not the disciples in the upper room, but the 3,000 that believe the gospel, there's no mention of tongues. When they're saved, guess what? They're convicted of their sin. They cry out, what do we do? They receive Peter's message. They believe the gospel. They're baptized, and then they join the church. In Acts chapter 8, they receive the message from Philip that he preaches, which is the gospel. They're baptized, and then later on, they receive the Holy Spirit when Peter and John come down. 
In Acts chapter 9, when Paul is converted, Jesus reveals himself on the road. He's convicted of a sin. He prays for three days in Damascus. Then Ananias comes. Paul is baptized. And then later he receives the Holy Spirit and he joins with the disciples. No mention of tongues. Here in Acts chapter 10, the Spirit falls. They receive the Spirit. They speak in tongues. Then they're baptized and they remain with Peter. And one other mention this is in Acts 19. There were disciples who had no knowledge of the Holy Spirit. They are baptized, take Christian baptism. Paul prays on them. The Holy Spirit comes on them, and they speak in tongues and prophesy. Why do I say all that? Because there is no formula in the Bible for if you get saved, you got to be water baptized, then you receive the Holy Spirit, then you speak in tongues. That's not taught in Scripture. What is going on here then? Why the mention of the tongues? God chose in his grace to signify when the Spirit, check this out, came on a group of people. Acts chapter 2, it's a group. Acts chapter 8, it's a group. Acts chapter 10, it's a group. Acts chapter 19, it's a group. And what do we see? We see Acts 1.8. You'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we see happening is, is that the gospel is breaking out, and at every next stage where the gospel goes out, the Bible is showing us that the Holy Spirit comes on these people, and they are co-heirs with everybody else. The Bible doesn't teach that we have to speak in tongues, or else we have not received the Holy Spirit. One last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Paul's asking a bunch of rhetorical questions. This is what he says. Just listen to the implied no. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? I don't. Do all possess gifts of healing? Nope. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Man, if you got the gift of tongues, practice it, man. But practice it with an interpreter. Some of y'all don't know this. I'm a charismatic, but I wear a seatbelt, sometimes a shoulder harness, many times a neck brace, okay? But I want to believe in the power and person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. If not, I unplug my Christian life from doing anything that matters in eternity. So what is happening here? Big picture, this is what's happening. God is saying, these people are my people. They're your people too. Finally this morning, what do we see? We see Peter commands these Gentiles, Cornelius and his family and his friends to be baptized. And then more importantly, he remains with them. So Peter declares, can anyone withhold water? Literally in the Greek, <laughs> the water is waiting for them. Shall we keep it back? Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit? So it's, it's here. Like, like, they've received the Spirit, they've been born again, they're saved, so now guess what needs to happen? They need to be baptized. And so Peter commands them to be baptized, and then he stays with them at their request for a few days. So good here, y'all. 
Peter does not withhold what God had already given. Why am I going to hold back water baptism from them when they've been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Like, why am I going to keep identification with the church from them when God has already said they're in my family? What does Peter mean here? Peter says he commands them to be baptized. That's not, he's not like looking at Cornelius and being like, hey, y'all just got saved, get baptized. What he's saying is, this is pretty cool how Peter does this. He looks, <laughs> this is how you teach on the fly. This is how you empower people. He looks at his six homies that are circumcised and he says, hey, you baptize the uncircumcised. Think about the wisdom here. Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians. They're all arguing about who like their favorite preacher is and Paul's like, I didn't baptize none of y'all. Oh yeah, by the way, I, no, I think I baptized this guy, but nobody else. Because he didn't want this to be the Peter dog and pony show. He wanted this to be signified that this was a work of God. So this light bulb, this, this chapter has come full circle to Peter. I'm not going to withhold what God does not withhold. And it's a great question for us this morning. What am I, what are you, what are we withholding from people that God has already given them? You may be still bitter at somebody. You may be angry at someone. You may be unforgiving towards someone. You may be not being kind or helping or compassionate. Don't withhold from people what God has already given you in the gospel and what God has given them or wants to give them in the gospel. I do want to make mention of one nuance here. Notice what he says in verse 48. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We find that in the book of Acts. And the reason I'm saying this is because there's People in our culture, particularly our culture, our state, our region of the country that will say, when you baptize people, you only need to baptize them in the name of Jesus. Well, how do we interpret that? Is that a formula? Is that like if you didn't get like, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ? Because in some places, it's the name of Jesus. In other places, it's the name of Jesus Christ. Like if, if we miss one of those titles, like is it not proper baptism? We, we got to go back. To Matthew, and what did Jesus say himself? He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So when we read in the book of Acts to be baptized in the name of Jesus, what does that mean? That means we're going to baptize as Jesus told us to baptize. We're going to do it in his name. We're going to do it according to his character. We're going to do it not get the wording right or it's irrelevant. We're going to say, this is how Jesus told us to baptize. We're not baptizing this because we're powerful as Crosspoint or powerful as a pastor or powerful as a preacher. We're baptizing because Jesus said, when people become disciples, baptize them. Identify them with my Father. Identify them with my Spirit. Identify them with me. So when we baptize here at Crosspoint, guess what? We baptize as Jesus told us to baptize. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Then they ask him to remain for some days. So what does Peter do? He just doesn't preach the message that these Gentiles are brothers and sisters. He sticks around to demonstrate that they're family. This is a big deal. Now, you know, God moves us, you know, in stages. Some of us are hard-headed like me. It takes us a minute. He's been hanging out with a tanner, so now he's more open to being around, quote, unclean people, right? 
But those Gentiles, they're like, hey, would you please stay with us? Cornelius, my, my, you, know, you get hungry and go pray. Peter, my wife can really cook. You just stay around, hang out with us. So, so he stays. Now think about what would go into him remaining. He's going to eat with them. He's going to stay with them. He's going to fellowship with them. He's going to welcome them. He's going to sit at the same table. He's going to sit in the same room. He's going to share life with these people even for just a few days in order to show that if God accepts someone, the church must as well. And so this right here, this last phrase, to remain with them a few days, may be the loudest message that's preached in Acts chapter 10 because it's the apostle Peter understanding that the blanket that fell from heaven and every living creeping thing on it wasn't that God sent Jesus to die for animals, but God sent Jesus to die from people from every tongue, tribe, language, and nation to bring them into one family, call them the church, and then send them out to the world to do the same thing. God welcomes us. God accepts us. God remains with us. So we think about this past week, the Indians always get confused when I tell them culturally that, you know, in proper American meal, you gather around the table and then you don't sit down un until the cook sits down, right? That's how, at least that's how we used to roll. We still try to do that. But in, in India, all the guests sit down and then the host stands up and they just eat the leftovers and they go around the room and, and they serve and, oh, you want more rice? Man, I'm good. There it comes. Right? And what you find is in Indian culture, the host is always serving the guests. The house belongs to them. The food belongs to them. The room belongs to them. But they're here to serve these people. I was thinking about Thursday when I'm eating, dressing. It's dressing, y'all, not stuffing. It's dressing, okay? Turkey, green bean casserole, not really a big sweet potato guy, although there was a massive there. And then pecan pie layer cake for dessert. Like, I didn't have anything to do with this. I was invited. And my mind went back to a hymn that Isaac Watts wrote. The words will be on the screen. Just read them with me. Think about you a Gentile this morning. Me a Gentile this morning. How we've been brought into this family. Divine Love Making a Feast by Isaac Watts in 1707. How sweet and awesome is the place with Christ within the doors while everlasting love displays the choices of her stores. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest. Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room while thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? T'was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in, else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. Pity the nations, O our God. Constrain the earth to come. Send thy victorious word abroad and bring the strangers home. We long to see thy churches full, 
that all the chosen race may with one voice and heart and soul sing thy redeeming grace. We've been invited. And the same spirit given to the apostles and the Jews is ours in Christ Jesus. What a God. What grace that we don't have to work for, that we don't have to strive, that we don't have to merit, that we don't have to do all this to make the cut. But the gospel is that Jesus came and did everything for us. All of our sins paid for. But we must believe. If you don't know him this morning, there's a Savior who has earned perfect righteousness for you. And you don't have to add anything to it. But if you'll believe that he came and he lived in your place, that he died in your place, that he rose again, and right now he rules and reigns as Lord of all, and he's giving us time to repent and believe. This morning, you can receive the same spirit that they received in Acts 10. As a Christian this morning, why was I made a guest? The grace of God. The grace of God. Lord, we thank you for grace. We thank you that we see ourselves in Cornelius. We were going along, doing what we could, and then you showed us our need. You showed us Christ. You showed us that we couldn't save ourselves. And Lord, through faith, you gave us the Spirit. He lives in us. He's working in us to make us like Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for your long-suffering in us, for your love for us, your patience with us. Lord, I pray for those in this place that have not received the Spirit, that don't know you. God, they would hear this morning, they're invited to the feast. They're invited to the table to know God to enjoy everything that you are, Lord. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. As we sit before the Lord in prayer this morning, I would just encourage you, if you know him, that you would just thank him for his grace this morning, just as a big exclamation point to top off this Thanksgiving weekend. Lord, why was I made a guest? But I thank you that I was gratefulness to our God. If you don't know Christ this morning, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to open the scriptures and share truth with you. When we stand in just a moment and sing, I'll be at the back. Justin will be at the back. Ryan will be there. Paul, if you need to talk to a pastor, we'd love to just talk to you. We have women available also that would be able to share the gospel with you ladies if you'd like to talk to a lady this morning. If you need prayer as a believer, Respond to truth as the Spirit works in you this morning. Father, work in our hearts. Apply your truth to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name.